0: I definitely started my career similar to a lot of people in the space where you're you're running away from something um, or using running as a coping mechanism for something else. And so I'd say while I found early success in my career, I still had a really unhealthy relationship with running. And how that manifested the most for me was I was channeling all of my stress into running as well. So I was just running all of the time. I was always thinking that more was better. And while I did have some early success, ultimately ended in my breakdown of my body and my mind. Um, And I think it was through a lot of injuries and reflections that allowed me to change. I don't think it was something that was linear. I don't think it was something that happened from one injury. Unfortunately, I think it was like, this really slow but always trending up journey from from where i was and so yeah i say before like i was always doing more because i was unable to fully be okay with like who i was and why i was doing all of this stuff and i just thought the anecdote to that was just running more and trashing my body more and putting all of myself into this thing um, and now I've kind of realized that, you know, to get the best out of yourself, you don't have to trash your body. You don't have to do, you know, X amount of miles per week because somebody else said that you just have to run true to yourself. And, and by giving yourself the time to recover and by giving yourself the bandwidth to learn to how to like, think more clearly and give yourself space for mindset training, like all of these things are related to performance and they require you to like, take a step back instead of just constantly go forward and so yeah i mean myself from five years ago would not really recognize who i am today and i think that's okay but by no means did it happen overnight and so yeah any listener that's like oh man i wish i could think that way like yeah i didn't for a really long time so it's okay
1: welcome to the yogi triathlete podcast we are jess and bj and we're on a mission to create a better world It's one where we are all more of ourselves, because that is a more easeful world. It's one where we celebrate our uniqueness, share our gifts, and courageously pursue our potential. The yogis teach us that the world is here to pull us down, out of our nature, and it's our purpose to rise above it. To do this, all we need to do is relax into our nature, and when we do, we'll see that it takes no effort to be who we are at our fullest. It sounds easy, but it's not. This is the great challenge of our lives. We live in a world where there's a label and meaning put on everything and everyone. And often, the road to unearthing authenticity is paved by our suffering. Many athletes butt up against this very thing during times of injury and illness when the very thing that defines them is taken away or hanging in the balance. And this is when we can discover that we have the power to choose how we will move forward. Through behavior changes, mindset shifts, and aligned action, we can step into our fulfilled selves a little bit every day over a long period of time. Today, we're so excited to be talking with professional ultra runner, podcast host, dog, mom, and scientist, Keely Henninger, who is so much more than the labels I just rattled off. During her 10 years of racing, Keely has seen great success, but also has faced the limitations of a runner trying to fit a mold. She has underfueled, overtrained and resisted rest until one day Keely said no more, as it became clear that her health was hanging in the balance. She became curious about the kind of runner she desired to be. And this curiosity led to positive change dictated by her desires, not the expectations of others. As a result, Keely now dedicates herself to assisting women in overcoming the detrimental impacts of improper training while she races strong at the top end of her field. Keely is no stranger to the podium, and most recently, she set a new course record at the Black Canyon 100K, where she walked away with one of two coveted golden tickets. For the Western States 100, which takes place this coming June. We've been looking forward to this conversation with this impressive woman who is encouraging us all to appreciate our own unique journey. Keely, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you guys for having me. I must say I really, really enjoy the ethos behind your show um, and highlighting how we all are so unique. I think that is so important.
1: Yeah, and you know we we live in this world where comparison is like it's baked into us, you know? Even mm-hmm. it, as soon as we're born, right? Like you're you're the youngest, you're the oldest, you're male, you're female, <laughs> here's your name and like you're separate, you're separate, you're different. And um yeah, it's a I think it's something that as painful as it is to butt up against it, it's truly as a gift to to overcome it and to see that, you know, we do all have unique things that make us who we are. And I think the world just needs more of that, more of of who we truly are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can't agree more.
2: So where did so? Let's just jump into what you were doing five hours previous <laughs> to what we're <laughs> doing right now. But first, thank you for taking the time. I know you're you've got a busy schedule and um, studying and, and racing, but um, and training and podcasting. Um, what were you doing just before we popped on here?
0: I <laughs> uh, my schedule recently has been very focused on studying for the MCAT. I take the test in like four weeks, and so. Um, I spend most of my mornings for about five or six hours studying just a lot of MCAT content and doing a lot of practice tests. And so I always take a hiatus around 1130 or noon and then start back up again at like two or three. And so um, my afternoons are also filled with a couple more hours. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a dynamic shift in my life right now. And I'm enjoying it because it's it's fun and I know it's temporary. So.
1: There's gotta be a little bit of this like knowing when to push through and knowing when to back off, like through this this intellectual endeavor of studying for the MCATs. Are you finding that your your
0: skills as a runner are coming in handy? It's really funny you asked that because I was just thinking about this the other day. I think they actually go hand in hand because I found that, you know, if you go into a race for for example, if you go into a race not ex- not very confident in your ability for that race. You're going to have a lot of areas of that race where you're doubting yourself. You're probably not going to run up to your potential because your confidence isn't there, regardless of all the training you put in. Um, and I had this the other day where I woke up just feeling kind of terrible. I had a practice test on the docket, which is like seven and a half hours of testing, um, and started off just really on the wrong foot um, and didn't do that well on the first two sections and almost had to like meditate through my like lunch break and ended up crushing the last two sections. And it was extremely interesting because it's very similar to running where like you really need the mindset going in. And then the second part of it that's also very similar is like basically learning how to study for long amounts of time, but know where your limit is so that you are like really productive during the time and you're not overtraining or overdoing it because there's like, a point of no return where you're just not understanding anything you're, you're reading anymore. And so, yeah, it's, it's super, super similar to running.
1: Yeah. And it's this balance of like, um, yeah, but I have to retain all this information. It's only four weeks away. Like the time is the time is ticking off, but, and as, and as I'm sure, you know, with being somebody who is overtrained in the past, like more isn't necessarily
0: better. Yeah, more is definitely not better. And it's definitely not better for me because I think I perform a lot better if I just make sure I have a good mindset and trust the training I did, regardless if that training seems like it's enough or not. I think actually coming off Black Canyon has really helped my mindset for the MCAT because going into Black Canyon, you know, there were certain times in my training where I was doubting if I was doing enough or if I needed to go do more or if I should take a down day or not. And ultimately, it ended up being fine, and I felt totally prepared for the race, albeit a lot of these, you know, questionings of my um, training during the training process. And so, coming off Black Canyon, kind of re-remembering that what I'm doing is enough was really nice going into MCAT because I'm like, okay, you know what? There are these days where I want to just keep hammering for four more hours, but like, let's acknowledge that what I'm doing is a lot and what I'm doing is ultimately going to be enough um, and just to try to trust what I'm doing instead of to always try to strive for more. So yeah, it's a really happy balance and I think couldn't have been a better time to come off of a successful race reminding myself that even though I'm going to doubt what I'm doing, um, most likely I'm doing enough.
2: Did this, is this part of the plan? Did you plan to do Black Canyon and then dive into (laughs) MCATs or was this just like, this just unfolded?
0: No, this is exactly (laughs) part of my plan. So there was a lot hanging on Black Canyon (laughs) I was like, okay, I need to get my ticket at Black Canyon so I can take like a month down and actually use my brain for studying. And then, you know, once the test is done, basically then it's big build time to states. And so, yeah, I definitely had a lot riding on this. I did not want to have to train for another golden ticket race after Black Canyon. Uh, I just don't know if I'd be able to do both, to be honest, because I'm not coming out of my undergrad. So while a lot of this information is repetitive from what I did learn in my undergrad, you know it's been so it's been since 2014 so it's a little bit far removed so i have had to relearn a lot more than i thought i had to and so i just don't know if i would have been able to prepare for the mcat like i would like to if i was still having to train really high intensity to try to get ready for another race so really stoked that it worked out um don't know what i would have done if it didn't
2: <laughs> you almost um but but you created it. You created this. I was listening to a podcast, a pre race podcast, and I forgot who it was. He asked you, you know, where would you like to finish in the race? And you had no hesitation. You were like, I'm gonna, you know, go go big or go home. I'm gonna finish first. So you, it's almost like you plant the seeds, and you know that can seem it seem overly confident, but you what I see is a trained mind. I I see you're you're focused on what you want and you're putting it out there. Yeah, I believe in myself. What actually happens, mm, we'll see how it goes. But I believe that I prepared myself to get to this point. So you almost almost uh, manifested it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that that's been a recent development for me too, is actually saying my goals out loud because I think it's kind of scary to say those goals. And so I think, you know, last year, basically a year now, um, when I decided to quit my job to go full-time running in pursuit of this medical degree later, um, it was pretty scary to be like, oh, well, right now I'm all in on running and I don't have a fall safe. I don't have something that can be like, oh, I didn't perform well because I'm working full-time or I didn't perform well because of these other things that are not in my control. And so... It was similar for this race i would really just tried to focus on the race and like what i was doing to prepare for the race and and put it out there that that's what my goal was and that like yeah i'm gonna try my hardest to do that but that um like obviously at the end of the day there's only certain things i control but to me yeah putting that out there i think is rare in the sport but i think it's it's helpful and i think it's also indicative of someone who is only focusing on the short term because a lot of people ask me going into black canyon what's my plan after black canyon what other races are you doing what races are you going to do like after black canyon and i just kept saying like i don't know i'm not even thinking about that right now like i just want to do black canyon i want to execute it as planned i want to do as well as i can there and then i'll decide and i think manifesting like oh i really want to do as well as i can i want to get first want to get a ticket, um, helps to keep you focused on one race.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important. And and I think that more and more of us need to do that, like put it out there, you know, like this is, this is what I want and I'm going for it. And it, it's this letting go of any sort of care of what other people's expectations are of you, um, any sort of care of how they're going to react to that. And then also it's, I think it's so important to, because it helps us overcome this, like this prevalence of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not smart enough, which is another thing that's really kind of baked into us, which I, I think programs us to shy away from really being who we are and being confident with that and confidence in a way of, strength, not, not egotistical, better than or less than.
0: Totally. Yeah. I don't think admitting that you're going all in on a goal is has anything to do with you being egotistical. I think for the longest time, women have been downplaying their egos, right? They've been downplaying how much time they put into something, how much expectation they put on themselves. When someone achieves something, they would say like, oh, you know, I, it just happened or this, this, and this. And I kind of want to switch that narrative by acknowledging that we're allowed to go all in on something. We're allowed to think that we're preparing as well as we can, and that we have a high chance of of doing really well because we're putting in the work. Um, and and yeah, I've just i I think that I've got, been in the sport long enough to witness all of these different kinds of narratives by female athletes around. You know, like, oh, I just jump, jumped in the race last minute or downplaying how much training actually goes into something just because they have to fit this old narrative of, like, maybe women aren't supposed to put so much time into sport. And and now it's like, no, I'm allowed to feel confident in my ability, not because I'm some egotistical maniac, but because I'm putting in a ton of work. And, like, I hope that it pays off into this. Mm-hmm.
2: The We, we had um, on that same uh, – I lo- I love that – that topic on this, we just had Heather Jackson on uh, mm. about a week ago, and we were talking as well about this mold of how she's in triathlon and she's how how can you step away from Kona like you haven't you haven't won it yet, yeah, but she's not she's not trying to fit into the mold. She's trying to do what she lo- loves to do and just mm. follow it that way. But there's a lot of I'm sure there's chatter going on about you know how can you how can you do this? Like what are the goals for this? And what if you don't achieve this? Um, but she's following her heart. She's following what what is bringing her joy. And you did an, mm. an amazing epic battle there. I mean, we were glued to our, <laughs> our uh, computer that day watching the, the coverage, which was so good, by the way, really, really good coverage. Um, so let's jump into the race a little bit. Black Canyon, sure. how'd it go?
0: I mean, I would have loved to be a spectator. I've heard that the coverage was amazing. So I kind of am jealous that I didn't get to watch it, but uh, I guess also not jealous because that means I got to race. Um, But yeah, I mean, the race obviously started off super hot. I mean, we were running so fast through 60K. For a point of reference that I really geeked out about recently, I ran the 60K back in 2017, I think, and won and i ran the 60k split for this 100k like 35 minutes faster than my 60k race time and ran the overall 100k like 25 seconds a mile faster than the 60k when i ran it in 2017 like we were flying (laughs) we were running really really fast um but that being said like it was a really really fun race obviously for lots of reasons. One of the reasons being because there were so many other women running, trying to get that golden ticket. I love a good competitive race, seeing all those women on the start line and having women close by for the beginning of the race is really fun. Um, And then obviously our Viper running puts on a really great race. So the the vibe at all the aid stations is also super fun and keeps you really motivated and really excited. And so the overall atmosphere was just really positive. Um, and yeah, I'm stoked that the race went as planned. My mindset going in was just to try to stay calm and keep the golden ticket as my main driving force for how I ran. And I think, um, to my advantage that worked really well going into those final miles because I never felt like I was running above my ability because I was always thinking about the ticket and knowing that in order to get the ticket, I needed to stay close to the top, right? I needed to get either top two or top three, depending on who was in those top three positions. And so I never was focusing on winning for most of the race until probably close to mile 57. And I think that just kept me really, really focused on my own race and not running someone else's, even though there were times where obviously I got caught up in it for a little, I just always had to recheck myself because running true to myself kept me really calm and kept me able to push at the end because I wasn't overly expending a ton of energy during the race. Mm. You just said one of our favorite buzzwords over here at Yogi
1: Triathlete, <laughs> and it might it might really encapsulate our ethos of mindset training, which is calm, mm. calmness. Uh, how do you how do you maintain a calm mind? How do you do you do practice outside of your racing that helps you with that?
0: I definitely do. Yeah, I work on my mindset two different ways. I'd say outside of racing. One being I talk about it a lot with my therapist and my partner. And so we always kind of talk about mindset regarding a race or even just regarding training and how I'm doing. Um, And then I try to really practice whatever my current form of ethos is. And recently it's been calm um, in a lot of my training runs that are important. And I think coming out of Portland winter, it actually was really hard and it was really good practice to have to have that ethos going out into my run sometimes because I'd be running, you know, by myself for three or four hours in a complete torrential downpour in mud, and you know you don't want to do that. But and it's easy to start freaking out during those training runs. But then if you can remind yourself that you have a goal for a race coming up and you have something that you want to treat like have this run driven by, then it's really easy to stay calm and just remember your, why you're doing it and trying to stay true to yourself. Um, and one of the tricks I kind of had going into this race was to start embodying this mindset the week before. And so, as soon as we got to Arizona, my goal was to just treat every day similar to how I want to feel on the race day. And so Every day, if I was running, if I was playing tennis, if I was just messing around, like doing nothing, I was trying to just stay extremely calm. And so my mindset for that whole week was being calm. And so when I got to the race day with all the hustle and bustle and the videos and the photos and the people, it didn't feel overwhelming because I was still so rooted in my ability to stay calm that the whole time it felt pretty calming.
2: Can can you see the contrast at when you went to the race? Was it evident? Like you're, you're this, you know, let's just say stone cold calm. And then you see like all this activity going on and the energy of those people. Could you feel the non-calm element of others Mm -hmm. now that you're so focused in on being calm?
0: I think I can definitely feel non-calm from other people. I do think that as soon as I start to feel that I choose to not, engage or even be like close to someone who might be, you know, talking right away about all the stressors around the race or something about the race. And I just know that in order to keep my mind, I need to stay true to myself. And so I just try to stay away from things that are not calm. Um, and that might bring me stress or or require me to break out of my calm. And so, yeah, I think I can detect it. Um, I think it's a little tricky on a race start line because there's like nerves, there's not calm, mm-hmm. there's calm there you know it's kind of all over the place so for me it's like detecting any sort of energy that's just more than what i want to have in my stimulus range i just stay clear i steer clear of that
1: i think this is uh something i want to dig into you know we work with uh, a lot of people in our community, trail runners, triathletes, obviously, um, you know, in triathlon, it's, it's the swim start. Like you want to talk about a lot of (laughs) non-com. There's a lot (laughs) of that that. at the swim start (laughs) and at any starting line, but some people may say, I feel, I I felt really bad. It was my friend and, you know, and she was just like Mm. having a hard morning and I, I couldn't, I couldn't step away and, how do you? See, how can you speak mm-hmm. to that, or can you speak to that? Like where it's just dis- it's discerning this thing of like I-, I need to do what's best for me and, and kind of protect what I'm holding sacred right now for my performance for my day, and I need to step away
0: from this. Yeah, I mean, I think there are always going to be circumstances that require you to sacrifice your race, right? Like there are some things that we cannot control that definitely require your attention over some silly race. But I think, you know, in regards to things that are not that extreme, so maybe it is a friend that's racing who just, like, freaks out because they brought the wrong swimsuit or, I don't know, something that's maybe less extreme that doesn't really require your attention, I do think that you should really separate yourself from anything that's going to impact your race because... I think especially in these sports as they're getting more competitive like they are part of our career and so it shouldn't be you know viewed as selfish or rude if we do choose to prioritize our own mental health and our own well-being over someone else's especially like the morning of a race Um, and you know I think I've, I've wrestled with this because I don't like saying no to people but even recently for even Black Canyon I I told my friend who was doing a ton of video on me that like, I did not want to do anything race morning. And if he was there to totally be background and that I would not do anything because it just would mess up my mind. And I think it's taken me a while to get there and acknowledge that that's not me being rude. It's just like, that's, what's going to be healthy for me. And I try to say it in the most nice way, you know, and, and tell them that it's not going to be good for my mental health. And a lot of people are okay with that. And so I think that like, just being true to yourself and being okay to acknowledge that is really important. And so again, not saying that there aren't scenarios where you shouldn't be selfish because there definitely are, but I'd say in most cases, it's okay to, to be selfish.
2: And so we're seeing, we're seeing Keely now and people are listening to this podcast and they're like, Oh, she's got a, you know, she's dialed in. She's so <laughs> strong in the mind and she's winning races what's the what's the comparison to a few years ago with the has it always been a calm mind has it always been you know saying no to others like and if it hasn't how did you how did you awaken to this this form of racing and living
0: yeah i mean i 100 percent agree with you that this is definitely an evolution over time this is not something that was that happened overnight um I definitely started my career similar to a lot of people in the space where you're you're running away from something um, or using running as a coping mechanism for something else. And so I'd say while I found early success in my career, I still had a really unhealthy relationship with running. And how that manifested the most for me was I was channeling all my stress into running as well. So I was just running all of the time. I was always thinking that more was better. Um, And while I did have some early success, ultimately ended in my breakdown of my body and my mind. Um, And I think it was through a lot of injuries and reflections that allowed me to change. I don't think it was something that was linear. I don't think it was something that happened from one injury. Unfortunately, I think it was like this really slow but always trending up journey from from where i was and so yeah i say before like i was always doing more because i was unable to fully be okay with like who i was and why i was doing all of this stuff and i just thought the anecdote to that was just running more and trashing my body more and putting all of myself into this thing Um, and now I've kind of realized that, you know, to get the best out of yourself, you don't have to trash your body. You don't have to do, you know, X amount of miles per week because somebody else said that you just have to run true to yourself. And, and by giving yourself the time to recover and by giving yourself the bandwidth to learn to how to like, think more clearly and give yourself space for mindset training, like all of these things are related to performance and they require you to like, take a step back instead of just constantly go forward. And so, yeah, I mean, old, my myself from five years ago would not really recognize who I am today. And I think that's okay, but by no means did it happen overnight. And so, yeah, any listener that's like, oh man, I wish I could think that way. I'm like, yeah, I didn't for a really long time, so it's okay.
1: <laughs> and it's going to continue five years from now. You're going to look back mm-hmm. 10 years from now, you know, like it's, it really, it truly is like, as the years tick by the the wisdom the wisdom keeps flowing in and and there's also an appreciation for this evolution and really the the pain that has has driven it was there i know it was like compounding right because the thing about endurance athletes is like it's it's our best friend and our worst enemy because mm-hmm. how much suck and suffering we can endure in our life is is kind of off the charts. When did, uh, when did it suck enough when you said, okay, something's got to (laughs) change?
0: Yeah, I would say that I had two really pivotal moments in my career. The first one being um, independent of an injury. Um, And it was basically in 2017, I just Felt terrible all the time. I wasn't sleeping well. I was waking up every single morning, re- not looking forward to running. Um, my performance was completely plateaued. Most of my runs were pretty slow, but they felt awful. Um, I was like wanting to cry during workouts. I was skipping a lot of workouts. I was bailing on friends for a lot of things. Like I wasn't feeling like I was firing on all cylinders at work. And I finally just reached my tipping point because my races were going poorly. And I was like, what the heck is going wrong?" I honestly thought I was sick. Like, I thought something was going on. Um, and so that was probably pivotal point number one, where I started to reach out for help and got some blood tests that showed all of my, my hormones were completely low, my, my female hormones that would indicate, you know, normal sexual functioning. Um all of those were really low, and I wasn't getting my menstrual cycle, so all of that was a really big red flag. Um, I also was starting to work with a dietitian, who basically, in a really nice way, was like, "I know you're trying, but like this is not good enough." Um, and at that time, I was really motivated to change, so I really focused on increasing caloric intake, increasing protein intake and fat intake, and trying to rest a little bit more. I also started implementing like eating meat in my diet because at that time I was vegan um, and I have nothing against being vegan. I think in my optimal world I would be, but um, I was vegan for very wrong reasons as a way to kind of control what I was eating and it just wasn't working well for me. And so, you know, I did all of these things. I started really prioritizing fueling and recovery and right away, my like ferritin went way up. I think three or four months later, I started getting my menstrual cycle again. And I started feeling way better. Like It was instantaneous. And at that time, I was going into my 2018 season where I had a really, really good season. Um, and I, I attribute that season to me finally drawing the line on my training and, and at least starting to prioritize things like rest and fueling outside of running. Um, And then I think my second aha moment was post-2018 season where I'd already started to try and control some of these variables, but I still wasn't controlling all of them or I wasn't backing off all of them. And I still was way overdoing it. I, I raced you know, eight times. I was still training at really, really high volume and that culminated into a pelvic stress fracture. And I think that was my second big aha moment of like, okay... I nailed some of this and I felt the instantaneous benefits of fueling more and trying to recover more. Um, but I still was really overdoing it from like a a running perspective, a training perspective and racing perspective. And so that's like the second piece of this is like, okay, I need to find my optimal training level where I'm not. I'm not not only not fueling enough because of the increased volume, but I'm also not, you know, breaking down my body and causing my bones to leach out calcium because they're not getting enough nutrients and I'm running way too much. Um, and so that was probably kicker number two. And after both of those, I'd say it was a network, like a net, it was a positive trajectory up, but it was by no means always up. <laughs> um, but yeah, those two were probably the most pivotal points in my career
2: was it, was it challenging to ask for help? Like to, to, to move from the realm of like, I, I think I've got this, I can figure this out. I'm, I'm smart. I've, you know, I've can, I've got a community around me. I can, I can get this switched around to the point where you're like, maybe I need to ask for help. Cause I think that's sort of like the, the ever building wall that gets higher and higher where you, you kind of, you can't get over it at some point.
0: Yeah. It took me five years to ask for help and yeah, I agree. It was really, really difficult. I think I grew up in a society, or we all grew up in societies where we want to be strong enough by ourselves and we want to be able to push through these hardships. And, you know, trail running, ultra running, and it's in general, it's like we want to be tough enough to do it. And tough enough to do it does not mean asking for help or admitting you've done it wrong. And so, yeah, it took a lot for me to ask for help. And I think it was only after just years of being miserable and only having that get worse and then having it reflected in my performance for me to to finally ask for help because i got to a point where i didn't want to have like i didn't want to feel like an an awful human and i didn't want to feel like i was getting worse at running either and so yeah it was it was not easy but it ultimately was worth it
1: so it's really vulnerability to ask for help to say like what i've been doing is is not good for me and vulnerability is another thing that we as humans really struggle with. And I, in my own life, it's just been a redefinition of what I believe vulnerability is. And so I'd ask you the same question yeah. about being vulnerable. You know how, how do you see that? How would you describe that in, in your journey um, before asking for help, after asking for help?
0: Yeah, I think going into my, well, I guess when I first started trail running, I don't even know if I knew how to be vulnerable. (laughs) Um, And so it definitely was non-existent in my life. And I think I actually was just barricading my mind from anything that was indicative of stuff going wrong, because I wanted to be right. And so there was nothing in me that was even allowing the option of being wrong or doing stuff wrong as an option. And I would say vulnerability has changed a lot for me over time because now I view vulnerability as a way to be real to yourself and be really realistic to others. And so I think like one avenue that I channel vulnerability is by sharing my like life journey kind of with other people because I think it's lack of vulnerability in the community as a whole that leads to us, you know, staying very insular and not sharing all of these experiences with others so that we don't know when something's going wrong, if that's normal or not. And so a really good example, I'd say would be when we lose our menstrual cycle as female athletes, we think that's normal for a while, right? Because nobody talks about it. And people who do, at least in the community that I started running in, were like, oh, this is normal. This is what's supposed to happen when you train too much. And so you know, not only are you not being given the truth, but you're giving this shifted narrative and then nobody's talking about it. And so I don't even know if you really have the capacity as a really driven runner to be really vulnerable because you're not even given the resources to know how to be vulnerable or what you're going to be vulnerable about. Um, And so now I think because people are starting to talk about things that you know, are really vulnerable and make them feel vulnerable, like eating too little or training too much or losing your menstrual cycle. Um, I think it's giving people the confidence to be vulnerable themselves. And I don't really know if that answered your question fully, but I really think that they go hand in hand, Um, like you need to see vulnerability to be able to be vulnerable.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, that makes so much sense and and I can relate to that in my own life. And to hear you talk with such ease about things that some people would be like, my God, I could never. I'm experiencing these things, but I can't talk about those right now. It's in my own experience, and and I'm feeling it from you, is that you know once you get over that initial hump of this barricade of you know being vulnerable, not being vulnerable, um, you know weakness to power, all of that. It's like to just be able to talk about the 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 stuff that you've navigated in your life, like it's so freeing. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we talk about it? <laughs> I think we're more similar than we are different. You know, you're a professional athlete. I am not a professional athlete, but a lot of things you know, and maybe BJ too, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners that you're saying is really resonating deeply with either what people are coming up against or they have overcome. And, you know, overcome isn't an end point. Overcome is really just the beginning point of a, another journey forward. We're always a work in progress.
0: Oh yeah. And I think an example in the real world that highlights the power of vulnerability is when the national women's soccer league started tracking their menstrual cycle and talking about their menstrual cycle. I think just the act of talking about it and acknowledging that they all get it and it might impact them during their training. Impacted their performance. I mean, they went on that year to go win the World Cup, and so obviously it's not a direct correlation. But to me, it's like they were able to be vulnerable for the first time in their career, probably, and even just the acknowledge that there is something that's happening that's unique to females, and we're allowed to talk about it, like that in itself. I think is a performance enhancer, and I, I mean, obviously anecdotal for sure. Um, but I've had athletes who too, who also. Kind of reiterate that statement where just talking about their menstrual cycle and how oh maybe they feel like crap certain times of the of the month that's okay like it's just giving them the like strength they need to be able to confront it and acknowledge that it's unique to females and that it's okay.
2: Um. Yeah. I think. I think giving them permission. I think that's a huge thing. I, I coach a lot of women uh, on our team, and it's it's important to. Uh, again, not have it be a, uh, I can get through this. I know you can push through Like the most often it's not about pushing through, it's about how can we just kind of ease into this, you know, this period here and keep momentum building, but not have to like, like grunt our way through it. We can reset and it will benefit us in the end. I think what we find out when we do a lot of easefulness is that we come out the other okay. side with more, let's just talk about running more speed, more power, yeah. more <laughs> freshness. Mm-hmm. But but it is that accepting that maybe I need to just dial it down a little bit before mm-hmm. I, I ramp it up. Do you have a, do you have a coach yourself?
0: I do. Yeah, I wouldn't trust myself to coach myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work with uh, Tyler Green, so he's local here to Portland and also a really good runner, but also a phenomenal coach. So do you,
2: do you find yourself? wanting to do (laughs) I know we talked about going above and beyond but there's there's also a level of like you know you've got six intervals and it's on the plan and you're like I'm gonna go do six intervals but you get to that fourth one you're like "Uh, uh, I kind of feel topped off right now but it says six and so Mm. yeah do you you come you butt up against that too
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that I butt up against that in both directions so I'd say Tyler and I have a really interesting relationship where he does instill a lot of faith, in my opinion, which I think is really good. Um, As someone who I think is now really in tune with my body, I do think I know when I need a break. And so I think on one level, we have a really great dynamic around me knowing when I need to do less, because that doesn't happen very often. And so I'd say I'm more of the person who, if they gave me six intervals, I might do seven. It's not like doing less most of the time. And so I think that's why he puts a lot of weight into my Um, you know, my sediment, if I do say I need rest, because I think I'm pretty in tune with that. Um, And I think on the other end of it, he keeps me in check to know that like, I'm doing enough. I don't need to go do more because I'd say, you know, especially in times of really high volume, I think your brain gets a little more animalistic because it's like, oh my gosh, food, like food and running, food and running, like, what are we doing? And I think I have a tendency during those really high bouts of training to almost like want to default to old ways. And so it's like, oh, well, I'm used to getting this crazy adrenaline rush all the time. Like I'll go run again tonight. And and I love having him to know that I don't have to do that to get where I wanna go. And obviously it didn't happen overnight. I think in the beginning, there's like this ebb and flow of like, maybe I do a little bit too much for a couple of weeks and then he calls me out on it. So I back off or I do a couple, a little bit too much for a couple weeks and then feel really tired. I'm like, okay, that was too much. Like, why am I not listening to my coach? And so I think we've now hit this really good dynamic of he keeps me in check. I trust him so much that I know I'm doing enough to get to reach my goals. And then I can be there to almost like let him know if I need a break because I've just, been around running enough now in myself that I know when I need it, when I need to turn it down notch.
1: so important, um, to understand that, that feel within yourself. And so with that, with training, is there a combination in your training of like pace, like data and information? And then are there some training sessions where it's feel or percentages perceived effort?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a good, amount of my training is feel based and so if i'm going on an easy run pace doesn't matter and i think you know the trails of portland oregon help help you do that if you're a little bit of a neurotic runner doesn't matter because our our trails are gps suckers like they will take your watch and just pull it apart basically because the gps is all over the place in portland so you can't even be upset about pace. So it makes the easy days even easier because you're just like, well, I don't know what I'm running. It's just easy today. And it could be this pace or it could be this pace. I don't care. It feels easy. Um, And then I'd say, yeah, there's other runs, especially, you know, specific workouts probably twice a week where we're more focused on pace. um, If it's on something that has good GPS signal. And then if it's on trail, it's, it's also just effort. So it's like, okay, go out on an effort that you're you know you could sustain for 50k or go out on an effort you know you'd sustain for a half marathon like definitely playing with those thresholds and i think when i do workouts on roads or something that has a little bit more like has mile markers it's obviously more prescribed but if it's on trail it's just effort and i think you know running for 10 years you get pretty in tune with different efforts of like okay this is sustainable this is not and so yeah we play around with that and i think the most important part of training is running the easy runs easy and not caring about pace and just going by flow so that you can actually run the hard runs hard. And so a lot of people I work with, I think prior to working with me, were always in the gray zone. The gray zone is like the no man zone for training. I don't think because it's like not slow enough to be easy and not quite fast enough to be hard. And so you're getting like just plateau. You're just going to plateau your fitness because you're not really getting the benefits of either end of those spectrums.
2: Yeah, that's I, I come up against that too, and I also come up against the athlete that just they love to run. They just love to run, mm-hmm. like, and you know, you kind of have this thing in your heart. You're like, oh, but they love to run, and they just want to keep keep getting out there, and and that's okay. So it's kind of like you got to decide whether you know are you looking for performance, are you looking to, to be your best on race day, or or are you in it because you want to you want to just run for a mm-hmm. long time? And I think I butt up against that a lot, and playing that that card a lot really I, I think when you speak to the athlete, they, they kind of make the connection like, oh yeah, I know, I love this so much. But maybe I can steal I can still add a few other things into my training that may fill the cup of of movement. That could be cycling, it could be yoga or Pilates or something out walking that can sort of um fill the gap there. Because I I think you need those two polars. I think you need the mm-hmm. That real dialed in, like one to two times a week, like like you're getting it, and then chill out um, the other time, so you can get that you can get that um, polar opposites.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if athletes aren't maybe willing to do that, that is for me a cause for concern because I think if you're not willing to take your easy days easy or do hard workouts or cut out some runs or mileage that aren't serving you, then I think that's something that they really need to work on on their own because. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make them want to do that, you know. If they're if they're battling with themselves and they're running for different reasons, um, they need to figure that out. And I think that's always a tough spot to be in as a coach. Of like, hey, you said you wanted to get ready for this race, and before you were running way too much and not great mileage, and now we need to cut that mileage down and do more specific work but less volume. And if if a, if an athlete's not really okay with that, then it could be like, Oh, well then you need to reevaluate your relationship with running maybe because maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons because, um, that's, that's a hard one to do as a coach. I don't know if you've, if you've had that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I face that with, with athletes. Um, I'd say more runners um, than Mm -hmm. triathletes um, because triathletes, they you know, they can do a bunch of things (laughs) to to fill their time. Yeah, I think that's that's it's it's tough. It's a tough um, uh, corner to get backed into because Mm -hmm. it's going to open up some things with a runner, and it's questioning. Mm -hmm. You've talked about this before. Your identity, like you're identified Mm -hmm. with being a runner, like, and what happens when that identity gets gets challenged? uh, Mm -hmm. Most people deflect and. And go in inside and, and protect, and they're not going to open up. Um, but that is the that is the key. That's opening up some uh, some opportunity for growth. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you, you kind of have to play play it and see how the athlete responds, and and maybe they just at one point have had enough. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there is a, a light that shines, and it's like, oh my god, like there's something else here. And and I, I always like to to pull the the performance carrot, like. Don't you want to like show up on race day like, and be your best and like give it everything that you have and set yourself up for the most success? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, pulling on the training bit, like you're, I love this, you love hills um, and love running up hills. <laughs> Why is that? And, and how did you get to be that, be that strong? Like how, how, how do you like, fly up them?
0: <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> I think it took a while for me to really embrace hills too. I mean, I've always loved climbing. I love being in the mountains. I think that's where my my love of hills originated was just being on the trail and being in the mountains inherently means you have to do a lot of climbing. And so I think as you continue to want to explore those kind of terrain, you have to get good at hills because otherwise they're not very fun. Um, but I'd say like my now my diligence for doing like Hill specific work and really embracing the grind of Hill, I think only has come to be recently because I've actually got a good energy balance and I have energy to invest in a really hard workout. Um, and before like I would always choose for the easier of the, of the two workout options. If I even had a choice, just because like, to me, it was like insurmountable to go do workouts on Hills, but it was because I was so overcooked and everything else. Um, because Hills are hard, like to your point, they're super hard, but, but yeah, I'd say like, as you actually are training correctly and you want to train for trail and ultra races that require a lot of Hills, like Hills are super, super important. And while they're always going to hurt regardless of how fit you are, Um, there's, there's something that like, should at least be appreciated as part of the training journey. And I think I'm finally to a point where I really love them. And yeah, I, I love, I love, I love working on Hills and I love Western States for that reason, because there's a lot of climbing, but they're all also paired with a lot of runnable sections. And it's kind of my forte of like still adding in a lot of climbing, but a lot of it's very runnable because that's kind of the train that's in my backyard.
1: Oh yeah. Let's talk about Western States. So (laughs) this'll be your third time lining up for Western States. Amazing. Um, and I know last year you call, you had a call it during the race. You had the first party of your race sounded like it was spectacular. Um, but I'd love for you to take us through that. Something that you and BJ were just talking about with, with athletes, this theme was coming up for me and this is a perfect time to talk about it. Is this letting go letting go of, you know, what happened last year, not being Mm. able to finish and showing up this year without being tainted by what you didn't want to have happen last year, which happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say I have this all figured out. (laughs) I definitely don't. Um, I think it's a lot of mindset work has gone into my season just so far, Um, Because I wanted to get over the hump of like my first race from injury. And I had, you know, a little local race back in November that technically was my first race post injury, but I wasn't giving it that that title. And I kept talking about Black Canyon as my first race post injury. And finally, my my therapist and my, my partner were both like, no, 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 no. This is not your first race post-injury. This is your like third endeavor post-injury. Like it's not even, don't even associate it with the injury. It's just a race. It is your first big race of 2023 period. And like, don't even think about that one because it's completely separate. Um, and for a while it was really hard for me to let that go because I didn't have any other race to pull on, right? You're like, oh, well the last race I thought of was this debil- this debilitating injury. And that's the only one I can reference. Um, but yeah, so it took a while for me to let go of that. Um, going into Western States this year, I think it will be a lot of of mental training as well as physical training because I do think that when I think about Western States, while I also while I first think about the magnificent like trails and the beauty of the race and the atmosphere, I also think about like complete heartbreak. And so I need to be able to separate those two. Um, And that might mean like going to the spot I first twisted it and going to the spot I ended up breaking it at and like doing a little ritual. I don't know what it means yet, but I do think that revisiting those spots on the course with a better mindset and almost like going to them as acknowledgement of what happened and the journey that transpired after, but giving them their respect and then turning them into a new, a new spot is, is going to be necessary, I think. Um, and I feel like as I say that, like it feels a little embarrassing to put that much weight into something. But I also think that, you know, going all in on something is, is also really special. And so, you know, when you put your heart and soul into a race and it doesn't go well, it's allowed to hurt, um, even though it feels like a weakness when you talk about it later. And so, yeah, I think this this year we'll do a little bit of mental work going into states, uh, probably run on the course a lot so I can start to get rid of the stigma associated with those areas.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And and then being honest about how you were feeling about what you were sharing. It's, <laughs> it's so important. It just adds to the value of your words. And yeah, to, I, I have found that when you go back to a, a space, um, whatever it may be in your life where something happened where things changed and you really ground into the present moment you realize that that thing that mm-hmm. happened is not existing in that moment it's it's not there anymore it's you know you're, you're standing in that same space this new version of yourself and you know as a scientist the body's always changing like cells are birthing and dying even through this conversation that we're having that we're never really the same <laughs> we're always changing um And so, yeah, just so in case our listeners don't know, you, you twisted your ankle and then I didn't realize you ended up like it was a break. Um, and then that, which that was a smart move to, uh, to call the (laughs) race at that point. But, but one thing that, um, you touched upon that I want to bring to light is the importance of the words that we use and the importance of the words that we use in moving forward, but also recognizing maybe the stories that we're carrying into something, a goal, um, you know, a new profession, whatever, a marriage, whatever it may be in our life that perhaps aren't serving us. And it sounds like your partner and Mm -hmm. your therapist were both like, hold on a second here. And they were asking you to readdress your words. Um, What have you found or what can you speak to like the power of the words that we use in regards to mindset training, training our minds?
0: I think when you go into a race with the wrong verbiage around the race, you're more likely to fall victim to that narrative, right? So perfect example being I had a race in November after the big injury. And my thought going into the race was, okay, this is the first race after my ankle. And I just kept thinking about the ankle and I had a lot of stress before the race. And this is all around a race that was super small, local race, lovely race director, but again, not an important race. Um, and I went into it, mile seven, twist my ankle. <laughs> and total PTSD moment, right? Like I finished the race. It wasn't this big gnarly sprain like I did at the States, but it was still enough to really shake me. Um, but looking back with my mindset going into the race, like no wonder it happened. I was manifesting that energy the entire time. I only thought about my ankle and twisting my ankle and spraining my ankle and crying at Western States. state. So of course I'm going to have that happen. Like. I was not manifesting the right mindset. And so I think, you know, going into Black Canyon, trying to go in with an extremely clear mind of like, this is a race that I'm doing. I am really fit for this race that I'm doing. And I have goals around this race that I'm doing. It needed to be separate from anything related to my ankle. And so I think I finally was able to get to that spot. Um, As I was, you know, able to acknowledge that I wasn't the same person anymore. And that in fact, it actually wasn't even the race after the race, right? Like I'd already done a race, kind of messed up in that race. I did an FKT, that FKT went great. Then I went and did this race. Like it wasn't my first thing since that race. And I also tried to really call on past races as well that were not Western States 2022 to remember that I've done this before that I've raced before I've raced without spraining my ankle race without having to drop out of races. Um, and so I think the mindset going into a race is really, really important.
2: Yeah. You're, you're demonstrating just right there. And throughout this whole podcast, like if you don't, if you don't train the mind, if you don't, if you're not a, awake to the mind and it's indulgences on the things that aren't serving us, then you're going to, actually manifest what you don't want to happen because what we focus on expands. So the same thing works with the opposite too. If you focus on giving your best and being healthy and strong, most likely you're gonna be, your fitness is gonna be good, you're gonna be healthy and you're gonna be strong, mm-hmm. but you gotta be aware of this. And I think that's, that's the interruption, it's the interruption of the thought that's leading us down a, a memory or a path that is just, it's just not helping. But yet we we have this like sick, sadistic thing where we're like, we indulge in that over and over again, and to the point where we it'll manifest in something else if it doesn't manifest in that. And I think um, for our listeners, like it's this is just stressing the importance of taking the time to train the mind, take the time (laughs) to train the mind. It's that important (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. training. The physical training is going to happen usually not not the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, as we just discussed, less is more, uh, instead I would take that extra time. If you're not studying for the MCATs, you could you know, <laughs> dive into a little more mindset training. Um, do you have a, do you have a, a meditation practice? Like, do you, do you sit still? Is there something practical you can share that, that you actually use?
0: You know, I don't have a definitive practice. I definitely, and flow in where and when and how I do meditative thinking and so I'd say for me it just has to be a time where I'm able to be in a quiet space so it could be like walking on the trail with my dog it could be in my house like could be really anywhere that's quiet and I'm just able to be still enough to be able to like reflect on my thoughts and then kind of push them away so that I'm just in the moment Um, and so yeah I don't have a full a full meditation process
1: what does, uh, you just said in the moment, what does that feel like? How do you know when you're in the moment? What does presence feel
0: like? Mm, presence feels like you're in tune with everything that your body is saying and you're not listening to all of the, the noise and voice in your surrounding environment.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Um, with all the studying you've been doing, your brain, you said you need needs a little break. You've been putting a lot in there. So I want to ask you from your heart, like feeling that feeling center. Um, So out of the brain into the heart, like what, what is this relationship that you're curating with Western States this year? What does it feel like?
0: Um, It feels like I'm going back to spend really quality time with a really, really awesome friend. It's
1: beautiful. I love it. (laughs) We can't wait to watch you shine out there um and be yourself and share yourself with the world. Um the the world needs more of Keely in her (laughs) most true state. So we thank you so much uh for your time today. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope our listeners take away Uh, one of the many moments of gold that you that you dropped out here today. So thank you so much. Uh, Any final words before we sign off? (laughs)
0: Um, You know, I think I just had this thought and it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to say it anyways. You can always uh, decide if you want to keep it. But when we were talking earlier about goals and doing what you love, I think one thing that is really cool about the mind Is that when you make the mind the center of your goal there's no such thing as failure right because you're living true you're running true you're racing true to yourself and therefore the finish line doesn't matter as much and you're just going to be really happy if you completed your own personal goal of like staying true to your mind staying your best self and the outcome doesn't matter as much which i think is really cool because in trail and ultra running with so many so many races we can all just start chasing these never-ending finish lines and if we're not running true to ourselves they might not feel that special
1: yeah that's beautiful Beautiful. and you just pulled upon a a ancient yogic teaching which is (laughs) for the sake of the work that you have a right to the work but you don't have a right to the fruits of your work
0: Mm -hmm. so find the
1: joy in what you're doing
0: super important Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Keely. for having me.